The Lord is good. Amen. We need to dismiss the kids if they're young. We, um, we've experienced a great victory over this last week. It's, uh, it reminds me of Genesis chapter 18 when God is, uh, he sends down two angels to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. But he first shares it with Abraham because he's his covenant partner. And Abraham negotiates with God. He says, if there are 50 righteous in the city, Will you destroy the cities for the sake of the righteous? And God said, no, I won't do it for if you can find 50. He said, well, what about 45? And God said, I won't destroy it for 45. He said, what about 40? God said, I won't destroy it for 40. How about 30? I won't destroy it for 30. How about 20? No, I won't destroy it for the sake of the 20. And then he finally gets to one last thing. He said, I'll ask you one more time. What about 10? God said, I won't destroy this, the, the city for the sake of 10 righteous. And Abraham stopped. He probably was thinking that Lot's household will make up the majority of the 10. So that was a, a good number, one that would spare the city. But there were not 10. And so destruction came to the city, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It seems like one of the things that, that um, will result from the Supreme Court ruling on abortion, against abortion, is that from 1973 to the present day, there have been something like 65.6 million babies that have been destroyed. 65 plus million babies were killed But it seems like, well, the thing that makes me feel best about this situation is that there seems to be some redeeming qualities still left in this country. There are a lot of things that we've talked about concerning end times and what the Bible says about the end and so forth. One of the things that the Bible tells us about the last days will be perilous times. One translation says of that it means strength reducing times. Well, if you look at the things that, that are identified, selfishness, self-centeredness, all the things that are on that list that Paul wrote Timothy about, 
there's never been a generation that didn't experience those things, those wicked characteristics. So why would Paul, directed by the Holy Ghost, speak of things that they were already aware of, speak of things that already existed, if not for the, the idea of the notion that these things will increase to such a degree that battle lines will be drawn. And folks, I think that's what has happened this last week with the Supreme Court ruling. Battle lines have been drawn. Wickedness will increase by great measure I believe, I believe things will become even more and more divided. There will be a clear-cut stand between righteousness and wickedness. And we've never had a point in time, never come to a point in time like we have with this, where people will have to choose what they believe and what they're going to serve. But thank God that this ruling has been struck down. We need to be on the side of life. There are things that, that I feel, and by feelings I don't mean just emotions, I mean spiritual sense, that I cannot yet put into words, but there's an excitement on the inside of me like nothing I've experienced in a long, long time. The Bible says that God is coming for a glorious church. I believe that the latter rain, the moving of the Holy Ghost, will be such that we see more of these things where wrongs are righted. Where righteousness is exalted. Folks, if God can do this in the midst of the leadership or lack of leadership we have in government. If God can do this right in the middle of the most wicked and evil generation or administration that's ever been seen in U.S. politics, if God can do something this great in the middle of that, then imagine the things that he will continue to do and other things that he'll do to bring about the glory of God for the church in the last days. Well, I've got myself into this and I don't know how to get out.
We serve a great God. A God with whom there is nothing that's impossible. And remember, rather than him talking about how great his power is, he tells us that we're the ones with authority and power in the earth. Well, amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to give this morning. It's good to be able to give. Amen. The ushers are in the aisles. They have offering envelopes in their hands. If you'd like a receipt for your giving, just lift your hands and these gentlemen will serve you. You can also give online. Give by text. There may be other ways you can give too. I don't keep up with this stuff. I write out my tithe checks at the first of the year. So I'm, I operate a little bit differently than most folks. We have some special guests here with us, Tony and Patsy Caminetti, real dear friends of ours. People that we've been friends with for 45, 50 years, almost. Well, how long is it? 45. Oh, only 45. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to exaggerate in such a great measure. Dear Lord. Let's pray over this offering. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that you are watching over us. You're watching over your church, and you're watching over our nation. Father, we thank you for what you've done and the steps that have been taken to put our country back on the road to righteousness. We know, Father, that you're limited in what you can do in our country by our prayers. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for the glory of the Lord that shall be seen and known in all the earth and the glory of God that will be seen upon your church, upon your people. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. When you've been given the opportunity to give, why don't you join us for this last song?
Five years. <laughs> See how much better it is when you're not interrupted. <laughs> We're delighted to have our friends with us. They're pastoring and have Bible schools. They started Bible schools all over the world. And currently they're in Australia. They've been there for a long time. This seems to be the place where they're going to land and sit. <laughs> 
They're people with great hearts, anointed of God, doing terrific works in the nation of Australia. And we're just glad to have them with us. We're glad to see them and spend time with them. And we're glad to hear what the Lord has given them to share with us. So if you will, help us welcome Tony and Patsy Caminetti. You want to say hi? I'll just say hi. You all can sit down. Yes. I'm going with the smaller number. 45 years. It, you know, the, the, old, the longer we've been friends, the older we are. <laughs> Anyways, it, I just wanted to say hi and uh, that we love you and we're so aware of you, even though we've been, um, uh, we've been locked away on a faraway island. <laughs> they let us out, praise God, and we were able to come and, and uh, our baby, uh, grandbaby was born in May, and so we've been in the States and it's been nice to be able to be. But we're so thankful on this end of our trip that we get to see you. And we love this church, we love what God has done here. We love the planting of the Lord here. This is a tree of righteousness. Not only are we individually, but the, the church is a tree of righteousness that bears fruit for this area and for everywhere that the message goes from this church. So uh, we just delight in God and what he has begun in you, and he is performing it individually and as families and as a church. And what days these are. I agree with you, Pastor Mike. Uh, there's an excitement in our heart. How about you? So it's just like it's odd. It's different than anything we've ever seen. Uh, but our great shepherd is navigating us. And we just are in for the greatest adventure of all. And everything that we believe about the body of Christ is true. We are a glorious body. So... Glad to be here, and I'll turn this. How, how long was uh, that singing group, Faith Creation, together? I don't know. What were we? About 45 years? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, four, four and a half years. Four and a four half. And a so half years, yeah. I have only known them 40 years. <laughs> I, came, I came along a little later. All right, there so you I just, I just, And so actually, they, they all traveled together in a singing group, and then they it was called Faith Creation, and then they called it a different name, and I, I started in the, the new singing group. That's why I just wondered, was curious. So I, in saying that, then you, you can, you're dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, love. Um, so actually then I went out on the road, and your pastor uh, was my boss for a season as I was the newbie, and I it was in the singing group, so I knew him. That's how I got to know him first, as uh, like uh, I answered to him on the road, and uh, he's always been a man of principle and doing everything the right way. And then we all went our ways, and they came here and planted the church, and we ended up first off in Italy, and we invited them to come out and teach in. And I heard, because I didn't know him in a ministry way, we were doing other kind of work for the ministry, and I never heard him teach. And we asked him to come and teach on uh, 
the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. And we had 15 hours of class, didn't we? And I, I, honestly, I still haven't really seen anything like this since that day that somebody came and taught 15 hours and did excellent, thorough teaching with no notes. No notes. I still haven't seen that. So my respect for your pastor is really high that he knows the word. And so I'm really honored that he asked me to teach because I know you guys are some of the most well-taught people out there. And then also he's just kind of like everything he said is kind of like I'm going in a similar direction. So what I'm calling this today, I'm calling it two platforms Christians can speak from. Two platforms Christians can speak from. So I want to pray. Father, I thank you today as I minister the word. Thank you, Father God, that you helped me to get this out clearly. I thank you that you strengthened me physically. Father, I thank you that I'm strengthened spiritually and you help me to communicate clearly. And Father, I thank you that you give everyone ears to hear in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So two platforms that Christians can speak from, millions of people are familiar, non-Christians as well as Christians, with one platform that you can speak from. But many, or many less people, I guess you could say, are not familiar with this other platform. And I know you guys would be some of the minority that's familiar with the platform that I want to get to today. But here's what we're going to just look at today. How did we get to where we are? And then we want to look at what does the world want and how do they get what they want? And then what should we want? And then the last thing is just our voice in the natural and our voice in the supernatural. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's first of all look at how did we get here and so there, there's like a, a, a graphic that I'm going to ask if you could put that first one up. And I, I can't see it, but let me just see what it looks like to see. Uh, I know some of it is um, going to be small. You see that first graphic there? It's the white one. See that? Now, the, the man that made these charts, you can find them online. His name was Clarence Larkin. And he was from, what a great name, Bethlehem. Pennsylvania, I think, is where he's up with the Lord now, but he made all kind of uh, charts like this, and they're all free. You can go download them. So this is probably hard for you to read, but if you see there that, that there's like these kind of like boats, and they're, they're big, and then, you know, there's that little on top. Well, they represent 2,000-year segments, and then the little ones on top are 1,000 years, the smaller ones. So... Uh, I know, I was just, I just drove, I flew into Phoenix yesterday, rented a car and drove up to Prescott because I have a 90-year-old aunt. She used to live around here and when we would come, I'd try to see her all the time when we came here uh, because, and she's 90 now and I thought, you know, I want to make sure I see her. Uh, she was in good health, so I think she's going to be around for a little while. She used to actually work for Walt Disney and she personally knew him. Uh, uh, she was friends with him. She was one of his secretaries. And I did ask her what 
Walt Disney would think about the direction of Disneyland right now. She goes, oh, he would turn in his grave. But that's another thing. But anyway, she, you know, she brought, I, and I, every time me and my brothers talk to my aunt, we want to make sure that she knows the Lord and she's going to be up in heaven. You know, because I'm, you know, you're still trying to think, is, it, is she really, you know, it's, it doesn't sound clear when she talks about where she is. So I was showing her some scriptures and I was talking to her about the end times and I brought up uh, like realignment of nations and there's going to be some nations that come down on, on Israel. And she goes, I've been hearing about Armageddon for 50 years. You know, that, so this is, a, I'm not sure if she's saved, but there, it was like, <laughs> and so it's like, oh, my nephew now is going to tell me about Armageddon kind of a thing. So, so I'm, I, I said that for a reason, because I know that for a number of years that ministers, pastors, preachers have been talking about the last days. But one thing that I think that makes a big difference is when you look at that first chart, and, and let's look at another chart. I, I, this is one for, if you like to do coloring with crayons and all, this is the coloring crayon chart. And it makes it a lot easier, especially when you're sitting far away that you can see. And you see that day one, day two, it's like in days, because the Bible says one day with a, a thousand years is like one day with the Lord. So all of these, uh, what we're talking about, they're, you know, we're in, right now, we're in day six. And, and what I wanted to get across is because of history, the Bible said things, and then they came to pass, and now we, every, you know, you learn from history. So you see all of these different ages, and they started and they ended. So the church age started, and the church age is to be 2,000 years plus or minus. You know, it's not to the T. But, but anyone that would have started talking about Jesus coming back before 2,000 years, they kind of misled people. But now... It, in my view, and, and your pastor just said he has an excitement on the inside, I think we're close. I think we are close. And so we're, we're living in these days because we're near the end of 2,000 years, and, and we're getting, and, and when one age ends, it kind of intersects with the next age coming. And Jesus said the days that were, in the last days, it's going to be like the days of Noah. And, and they were days, you know, there was a lot of sin going on. So as church, uh, as the church, we shouldn't be surprised at what's going on in the world. It was prophesied. It's not going to get any better out there. They're going to continue to sin and sin because sinners sin, right? That's what sinners do. And, and we're saints, okay? I'm not saying that saints don't make mistakes and sin, but we shouldn't be surprised at the sinners out there when they do it. So Lucifer was cast out of heaven, and he's commonly called Satan or the devil now. And he began corrupting the earth by deceiving mankind, starting with Adam and Eve. And then he corrupted in the early, in, in the, early the first age, the first thousand years. And he's been corrupting all along. And then when Jesus showed up, to show you how he's not even close to being intelligent as God is or knowing God's plans or purposes, which were hidden, he thought the way to corrupt and hurt was to kill, to have Jesus crucified. That's what he thought would bring him results that he wanted. 
but he played right into God's hands. He crucified Jesus, and because of that, we're all here and we're redeemed. And so once that happened, he had to recalculate, recalibrate his plan. And his, his new plan then was to bring the church down and now, so he hates Jesus more than ever, this, the anointed one, but he hates the church. So for the last 2,000 years, he has been working on a new plan. And that, of course, the church, uh, recently a statistic came out, the most persecu persecuted group on the earth is cr now Christians. They're the most persecuted. Shouldn't be surprising because he's the God of this age, according to Corinthians, and he hates God and he hates the church. But the good news is Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So he, he's tried for 2,000 years and he hasn't been able to bring the church down. But here's a, like this one scripture. I'm not going to put this one on the screen, but Psalm 2.2, it says the kings of the earth take their places the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. That's the amplified. So that, I want you to know that what I just said is not my opinion. The Bible says the king's nations, leaders of nations, that they take their places and they, they have counsel together and they're against the Lord and his anointed one. That's Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised when nations are against God and the anointed one. And then the next verse says, or two verses down, I think it says, he sits up in the heavens and he laughs. God's not afraid of what they're doing. We shouldn't be afraid. And I agree with your pastor. It was a great victory that happened this week. And, and it was really, uh, it was an encouraging thing to see. Now, things, because the devil started to recalculate his plan and things have been falling into place. So if you could look at this next pick, and I know this one, you know, this one may not be nearly as solid as Clarence Larkin's, uh, you know, uh, but I thought this was interesting. I found this and you see, that's the old Tower of Babel and that is the European Parliament. Interesting how it's kind of similar. And then... Um, so those that are end-time people, I, I don't consider myself an end-time specialist, but I've actually, because of the time we're in, I've gotten more interested in it. But there are people that said this building up there is a possible seat of the Antichrist. Notice I said possible. And then there's a book out, and this book is called From the Tower of Babel to One World Government, and then subtitle, United Nations Against God. There's a book out. It was written by Jean Joseph Bonney, which I don't know who that is. Um, so, also interesting where we are. We're just talking about where we are and how we got there. So, Satan's been working for nearly 2,000 years, and he's working on a plan that's against God, Jesus, the church, and people. Ephesians 6.12, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then a, a scripture in Colossians that's like that. It says, for by him, all, Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Now, with those two scriptures and based on those two, two scriptures, I'd like you to look at this next chart. Now, Patsy was teaching along a certain line in Australia, and a lady that I, your pastors know, her name is Jenny, and she helps us. Uh, she actually just spoke at our church in Australia. It's already uh, nighttime there on Sunday, but she spoke Sunday morning. Uh, it might even be, is it Monday? Anyway, I, I'm not sure, but it's, they're ahead. And when she heard what Patsy was teaching, she made this graphic up. And I, I'm not sure if you can see how, you know, all the printing on it, but it's thrones, the scriptures that we just read about principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness, thrones, that is something that came from just listening to Patsy teach. And I thought, I said, hey, can I use it? And she said, sure. But you see, th these thrones and principalities, et cetera, they're, they're spiritual wickedness. And, and, and so not a, a large percentage of the world even believes that this exists. You first of all have to know Jesus Christ as Lord, even have some kind of enlightenment that there's a spiritual realm out there that exists, and they're controlling a lot of things in the natural. And so that's what we read. Now, interesting that God created all these positions, if you want to call them. It says all things were created by him, but what happened was when the devil, Satan, got cast down the earth, he corrupted some of the systems that God made. He corrupted them. And so there's been like really, when we uh, talk about incompetent leadership for nations and around the world, one reason is, is because of the corruption that came when Satan was cast down and then the thrones and dominions out there, the principalities and powers, etc. they're corrupt and they influence the leadership on the earth. We shouldn't be surprised by that, but it's going on. Okay, so there's like these hidden realms, as we see, and the rulers of this age, they are anti-God and they influence the world. Now, there's three Greek words that are translated for world, three main ones in the Bible. We're going to look at some of one of them, but I'll just tell you, there's this one Greek word, I can't pronounce it, it's all Greek to me, but you know, it's, it's like oiko, or something like that. Io parlo italiano, man io non parlo great, I don't speak Greek, you know, can speak some Italian. Uh, but this first one, it's like, it means landmass, the habitable, the habitable earth, the, the part of the earth that you can live on, and all the people. So when one, one of the Greek words for world is like the landmass and all the people. And then there's another Greek word, it's aeon, aeon it's A-I-O-N, and that refers to an age, a period of time. And so one place that you have that is where it says Satan is the god of this world. That's actually age. Because the Bible says that God created the world and everything in it and the fullness thereof is his. The world is God's. But 
there's like that measured amount of time and age that Satan is the God of this age. So he's still working. Some people find that to be confusing because they, you know, we say, well, God, Jesus defeated the devil. And then people say, well, if Jesus defeated the devil, how's come he's the God of this age? And there's sometimes confusion about that. But Jesus defeated the devil for us as individuals. And everyone that receives him, we're, we're made alive and we're taken out of this world. And that's the next word that we're going to listen to. So he's still controlling the age that we live in through the, the thrones and the dominions and the principality and power. He's influencing through that. But when somebody receives Jesus as Lord, they're taken out of that and their eyes are open. They leave darkness and they come into light. Okay? And that brings us to this word that we're going to look at some scriptures. We're going to define it, but that's the word cosmos or cosmos. I don't know, you know, I'm, again, I don't know how to speak Greek. It's, uh, some people spell it K-O-S-M-O-S. In other places, it's spelled C-O-S-M-O-S. So I'm not even sure, but it doesn't matter. It's still a Greek word. So here is what the cosmos, here's some definitions of cosmos. And uh, so it's an apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution, order, government. The inhabitants of the earth, men, the human race, the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. World affairs, the aggregate of things earthly, the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. That's the strong concordance. Here is Bollinger's critical lexicon and concordance that says cosmos denotes the order of the world, the ordered universe, the ordered entirety of God's creation, but considered as separated from God. The abode of humanity that order the things in which humanity moves or of which man is the center. And then here's Vines, a real short one. In alienation from an opposition to God. So when you see that Greek word, you know, th these are all the things that it can mean. And one last one, the Vincent Word Studies, it says the order of things which is alienated from God as manifested in and by the human race. Humanity as alienated from God and acting in opposition to him. The sum total of human life in the ordered universe considered apart from and alienated from and hostile to God and of earthly things which seduce from God. So I uh, put a number of ones in there because I wanted you to see, I just didn't take this from one, uh, one place. It's like a, a lot of the theologians or whatever you want to call them that write the commentaries, they all say pretty much the same thing about cosmos. Okay. So God, as I said, created everything, 
but then the devil did some corruption. So look at this next uh, chart or, or this next graphic. And uh, this, is, this just says, uh, you know, this is like a graphic. I actually made this. And I figured out how to use like this graphic thing. And then I've gone back, but I can't remember how to use it. So it's the only graphic I ever did, and I don't know how to do any more. <laughs> boy, the, the young people. And, and boy, I love your young worship team and the young people working back there. They, they just, they don't even have to read the instructions on these things. <laughs> you know, so, but anyway, uh, this one has a little bit bigger. So this, this one, I, I just, you know, what you see here is... Up on top, it's God's master plan, and it starts at creation and it goes into eternity. Then you move down and you have God's plan for the church. Then you see the church, the beginning of the church age and the end of the church age where we are so close. But then you see that there's the devil's plan against the church. It's all working together. So it's kind of like we live our daily lives on the earth and we deal with these real practical things go to the grocery store buy groceries cook clean the house you know raise kids you know work a job we're we're living all these things and while we live the everyday life we believe god for things we need all of those things there's like this big plan that's in the works and it's whether we know it or not and we can't stop it we can't we can't do anything about it it's going on. So um, the devil's plan against the church, it's interesting because he's not against any other religion. And so here's like what Revelations 12, I, I'm not putting this one up, I'm just going to read it. But Revelations 12, 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ." For the accuser, the devil, of the brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. His, he's the God of this age, and this age is coming to an end, and he's going to get his soon. Okay? So even though some of the things I'm teaching are right now, it might seem, oh, wow, it doesn't look good. No, actually, it really does look good. We're coming to the end of the age. And if you're a Christian, you can't lose. We can't lose. We're in a win-win situation. Okay, so this, the scripture I just read, you know, if you only had one scripture, it really shows that there's a spiritual warfare going on out there. It's, it's really real. And it's going to come to an end. God's going to take care of it himself. The devil's going to get cast down. And he's going to get completely defeated. Now look at this next pick. This is uh, called intersectionality, this next graphic or whatever. And so actually in your beloved state of California, there's a professor in one of the universities here, and she created this thing called intersectionality. It's not really that old. It's new. But it's when, it, and intersectionality is an interesting thing because it goes along with the spirit of this world. It doesn't include Christians. It, it has the word religion there, but Christians don't fit into this too well. But what intersectionality is, it's when all of these things intersect and they come together for a bigger purpose. So you can have like, uh, you can have like a, a radical, and I, I don't want to you know, I, I'm not going to say religions or, but radical kind of religion, you know, kind of who, who actually they will kill. As an example, there's, there's some radicals like 
two or three years ago on January, the, when the year started, there's in, in somewhere in the Middle East, they started the year off by pushing homosexuals off high-rise buildings and killing them. Now, that's sad. Jesus died for them. Jesus loves everyone the way they are, and he died for sinners. But they pushed homosexuals off high buildings. And so, but those, this intersectionality thing is interesting because it's like when the evil world comes together, and they're willing to unite against a common purpose. So you can have those radicals that would do that, but just for a season to get what they want, they'll actually come together. And that's kind of what intersectionality is, okay? So with all that said, let's look at some scriptures now. And these are scriptures, this is Jesus talking about the cosmos. So the, when you see the world, world, that's cosmos. So look at this. He said, John 8, 23, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this cosmos, I am not of this cosmos. Remember what cosmos is, the corrupted systems of the world. Jesus said, I'm not of this, you are. Now, you know what? We got quickened and made alive and we got taken out of the cosmos when you became a Christian. Our eyes, we're, we're living in the light and we see things by the grace of God uh, that others don't always see. John 18, 36, it says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world, cosmos. So we have to remember we're living in a world, but the kingdom that we got placed in is not of this world system. It's a different system. It's God's spiritual system a backwards kingdom where the greatest person is the servant if you want to be great in the kingdom you serve it's backwards to the world if you want to be great in the world you kick and claw and climb up the ladder of success and you fight for positions of authority and power and in this one you humble yourself and you serve and God and you put your life in God's hands and he's the one that promotes you that's the system we're in, amongst other wonderful things. So uh, Jesus, his mission was to die for the people that were trapped in the cosmos. And his servants, they were not allowed to fight to free him. Like, you know, Peter took out the sword and he cut that guard's ear off. He pulled that sword out. And Jesus said, put the sword back because you're, this is not what we do. This is not how we get our way in this kingdom. And he put the guys back. He put his ear back on. Now, it's interesting because as Christians, we want to make sure we communicate the right way because we don't want to cut the ear off of the people that need to hear what we have to say. And so being violent you know, protesting and getting violent as a Christian, it's like cutting the ear off of the people that we want to listen to us. We don't operate that way. Peaceful protests are fine. But it, and so, as I said, everyone that receives Jesus, they get delivered out of the system. Now, look at John 17, 14. That says, I have given them your word, and the world, the cosmos, has hated them 
because they are not of the cosmos, just as I am not of the cosmos. So we got taken out and we became Christians. Now, some Christians aren't hated because they never open their mouth and, and no one knows they're a Christian. And so you don't have to personally deal with it. But generally speaking, in the realm of the spirit, the devil hates you whether you open your mouth and act like a Christian or not. The devil still hates you once you receive Jesus. And so um, look at this. These are three graphics. Like they're not very good because uh, you're not allowed. You know, we're online and you're online and you're not allowed to play YouTube videos. So I just kind of took snapshots from YouTube. So we, you know, so we're allowed to put it up and it can still go online because it's just a photo. So what you see here, this first one, Billy Graham, I don't know how long ago, he said Christians should, should prepare. That wasn't Billy, that was his, Franklin, sorry. He said we, we need to prepare for persecution, of course. Then look at this next one. This is like, he's one of the good guys, Tom Cotton. He's fighting in Congress here in the United States on behalf of Christians, trying to get it, you know, I, you know, Christianity will never be legislated in any nation, but you try to get laws that protect people and et cetera. And he's fighting for Christians there in, in, on Capitol Hill. But then look at this next one, just showing you what Jesus said, the world hates us. This one, this is all Australia. Now this was during the virus and they replaced the, the, you know, we would say the governor of a state. That's what we would say, but, but, um, they replaced uh, the leadership in New South Wales during uh, the, the virus thing and when everyone had to wear a mask. He's just simply a Catholic. He's a Catholic. But Australia has the Australian broadcast. They're, they're one of the main ones, just like our, we have ABC. They replaced them, and then the ABC, that media, they went after this guy over his religion. And he's just like a peaceful Catholic. It wasn't like he was working miracles and speaking in tongues or anything. <laughs> You know, they just went after him, you know, for no reason. So what am I saying is like we're, Jesus said that they'll hate you. We shouldn't be surprised. We're in, a, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. So the system, the cosmos, it doesn't like losing people. The system wants to keep everyone in it. The system wants everyone to think and act like the ruler of the system. And so the Lord said this to me. He said, the earth belongs to the Lord. I, I mentioned this, but the cosmos belongs to the devil. He's the God of this age. So all Christians, we should know that. So I think I established of who the world is and what they want and what, how we got here. I mean, but let's, no, actually, I just messed up there. I established on how we got here. I want to look at now. What do they want and how do they get it? So the goals of the perpetrator, the devil, Lucifer, Satan, whatever you want to call him, from the beginning until now, he hates God. He's tried to overthrow God in heaven. He got cast out of heaven, couldn't do it. He, he's nothing compared to God. He just, like with a finger, he could cast the devil out of heaven, who was Lucifer. Then he got onto the earth and he's been trying to overthrow God from the earth. The birth of the church happened. He's been trying to overthrow the church, all doing the same thing. He just simply hates God and everything that belongs. So here, uh, here's something interesting. This happened, and you see it in the book of Job. Now, uh, I did some studying because I wondered when was the book of Job written. 
And I found that, and I know there's various views, but I found that there was a common view. Job was written between Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 12. So that means Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. So why am I saying that? Because in Job chapter 1 and verse 10, this is the devil talking to God. And he says, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Now, if you have trouble understanding the epistles and you know what, how, and you don't really understand how God wants to bless you, the devil just told you. <laughs> he kind of understands what God wants to do for us really well. You put a hedge around him. God wants to protect us. He wants to protect our house. He wants to protect everything that we have on every side. He wants to bless the work of our hands. Uh, he wants to increase our possessions. And that's what he was doing for Job. And because of that, the devil hated Job. Okay? Now, I don't have time to get real theological about the book of Job, but I'm going to just uh, like jump down to verse 15 because Job was in fear, and it seems as though the fear brought the hedge down. And so when his hedge of protection was down, in Job 1.15, it says the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck them down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And so what do you see there? It's the devil influencing people to hurt somebody that God said good things about. So when we say, like, how do they get what they want? There's influence that happens with people. Okay, now look at another example in Ezekiel 28.2. It says, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am God, I sit in the seat of God's in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man. Notice that you are yet but a man and know God, though you make your heart like the heart of God. So he's talking to a man that's a ruler like you could say one of the rulers, like a, a leader of a nation, a leader of an area on earth. But he said, you're a man. And then you jump down to Ezekiel 28 and verse 12, and it says, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre. So the other one was the prince. Now he, it says the king. And say, say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, I'm, just for time's sake, I'm not going to read all of that. So the prince of Tyrus, a man, could not possibly been in the garden of Eden. Wouldn't have been possible. So what we see here is the king of Tyrus is not referring to a man. The king is a created being. Actually, Lucifer, the devil, is talking about him. And he fell to the earth and when he fell to the earth, of course, he began to corrupt. So what are we seeing here is there is a dual, there's like dual leadership, you could say. There is the thrones and dominions that influence. So he was called, 
one's the prince and one's the king. So we looked at thrones and dominions and how they influence. I'm just showing you scripture so you know it's just not my opinion. We can find it in the Bible. Then uh, let's look at one more, uh, one more example, and I think this is the greatest example, and that's Jesus in his crucifixion. So just notice how these scriptures are written. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up, now look at this, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Notice how it says the hands of lawless men crucified Jesus. And then in Acts cha uh, chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, let it be known to all of you, the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before, by him this man is standing before you. There again, I just want you to notice, it sounds like it's the same thing. But then you jump over into the epistles and you see something else in 1 Corinthians 2, 6. It says, yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now look at this. None of the rulers of this age understood this. Thrones, dominion, powers, etc. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you see that? The thrones and principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness, they didn't understand the plans and purposes of God. It was hidden from them. And so they had Jesus crucified, but they, the, the spiritual wickedness and powers, they didn't do it. Their spirits, evil spirits and rulers, they used evil hands to do it. So I, I guess what we're seeing is like we're living in this world and there's stuff going on and most people don't even know just like this group of people did not know they played into God's plans and purposes. They didn't know that. So there's going to be a realignment of nations. There's going to come a time that, uh, and it's believed that Russia is that main nation that's going to march down on Israel with the Ezekiel War. They don't even know they're falling into God's plan. That's the big plan of God. But the devil's inspiring them, and he's, again, so stupid, he doesn't know that they're going to get defeated and they're going to lose another battle. And in the end, they're going to lose everything and they're going to pay the price. So all of that said, I just wanted to show where we are, how we got here, etc. But let's now look at this, and that is what do we do about this? So the first thing is, I'm not going to spend too much time on the first two or three because I want to spend more time on one. But the Bible says, when you see all these things, it says to look up, your redemption draws nigh. So the first thing is, we don't, we're not hopeless. We're not afraid. I was talking to my aunt, you know, and I'm thinking, I really 
can't, I still can't tell if she's born again and I want her to be in heaven. But she's just saying, and one of the things is I showed her scriptures about how the, the rapture, and, and if you're a Christian, you can't lose. I was really wanting to encourage her, and she just says, oh, I just hate to think about this world, about your, your grandchild and your kids, and, and you know, where's it going, how's every... And, and I said, if you're a Christian, you can't lose. And so the Bible says, look up. So when it says to look up, that's for our comfort. That's our comfort. Then the second thing is love one another. Because uh, you say, well, what are we going to do in this time? Well, Jesus said the world will know us by our love for one another. So that's, the first one is for our comfort. The second one is for our witness. The, the way that we witness is we love one another. That means Christians loving one another. That speaks loudly. So what do we do in all this time when, when everything's going on? We surely don't hate but we love especially one another. That's one of the strongest witnesses to the world. And so, you know, I, I, you know I, on YouTube, you go there and you got these guys attacking one group of Christians, attacking another group of Christians. You know, if you believe in healing, you get attacked by one group and all this attacks going on. Exactly opposite, in my opinion, of what Jesus said to love one another. Amen. If you're born again, we're all going to spend eternity together. So even though I'm a tongue talker and I speak in tongues, I don't go after any group of Christians that if they say speaking of the tongues of the devil, let them say it, but I'm not going to go after them. I choose to love my brothers and sisters and we're going to be together for all of eternity. That speaks loudly. So that's what we can do. And the third thing is meet together. Hebrews 10, 25, it says not neglecting the meeting together. I, I forgot to rearrange that. That's about three or four scriptures down. I, I have that one and I forgot to tell you this earlier. So it, it says not neglecting to meet together as the, the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing nearer. So we look up, we love one another, we meet together. And then here's the last one where I want to spend more time. And that is, we ask for rain. Ask for rain. So James chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until he receives the early and the late rains. Your pastor mentioned that this morning, that scripture. So the only reason we haven't been raptured and the, and the only reason he hasn't come back is he's waiting on the precious fruit. We have a mission to do. So as we see all kind of evil going on and we think this is not, you know, and I know we have young people here, so you wouldn't relate to this statement, but I, I'm, I'm the oldest of us, by the way. Of course, the gray hair kind of says that, but I've been around for a while. And I know an America that I don't, it's trying to change the America that I've known. But of course, you know, the Judeo-Christian nations like Europe, Western Europe, uh, Canada, America, New Zealand, Australia, they, you know, all of the Judeo-Christian nations that were, you know, started and they have like these foundational beliefs and constitutional things that 
line up so much with that. But when, when the Judeo-Christians, the, these, we opened up our borders and the world flooded in. And so what happens is even uh, the government, they feel like they need to defend all of their citizens. So other religions come in. And, if, and so I think for Catholics, we should, I mean, Christians, not Catholics. I don't know why that came out. But for us Christians, when we go after other religions, all we do is make the government think they need to put something in place to protect them because they're for all the people. They're for the people. So I've told our congregation, you want to go do a peaceful protest? And I've gone to, pro just so you know, I've gone to pro-life uh, protests, peaceful. And I said, don't hold up a Jesus sign. Because if you hold up a Jesus sign and you get all like, I said, you're, protest, we can protest as citizens. So I tell our, our congregation, protest as a citizen. Don't do it holding up a Jesus sign. And I hope that doesn't offend you. But, you know, unfortunately, the way Christians have attacked and gotten ugly and hated throughout the years, they've almost made the government write policies they wouldn't have had to write. Just a thought. Okay? Because they're for all the people. They're for the people, and they let everyone in. So we no longer have just Jews and Christians in our nations. We have all the other religions. And so Christianity, sometimes us Christians think it needs to be legislated on a high level in the government. And interesting things, the greatest revival, I think, happened in China in a communist nation. I don't know if that was the greatest one ever, but it was, and the church was born in slavery. The Jews were slaves to Rome, and Christianity prospered in the early stages when the Jews were slaves because they didn't focus. They didn't go after the Roman government. They stayed with their mission. We need to stay with our mission. It's getting people saved. I thought it was amazing. Nicodemus came to Jesus and, and he talked about, oh, you, you, I've heard about you, all the signs and wonders. And, you know, and so many Christians, like they want to just talk about the signs and wonders they have. And, and when he brought it up to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm tearing it up, man. Got, got all these healings and miracles. Take. Jesus said, you must be born again. He went right off of that to you must. The whole reason the miracles happened wasn't to give me any glory or make me famous. It was so you, I got your attention and you must be born again. Just saying. So, when we get ugly and we get, and we get hateful and we fight, that's not the good news. That's not the gospel. There, there's people out there, he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And that we're the ones that bring it in. So any healings and miracles that happen, that's just a dinner bell to get people's attention so they come, so they can get born again. I was born again at the age of 23. And so I've been born again now. You can figure out how old I am. I've been born again for 44 years, okay? So I was only born again four years when I met these, and my wife grew up in church, so I was still like... But I can tell you, I was not a good guy before I met Jesus. I had six brothers, and we, none of us were good. And we, to varying degrees, we did evil. Okay? Italian bad boys. 
Now, my brother Joe, he's friends with your pastors. And they, they go back a ways too. He pastors in Ohio. My brother, Joe, we, we, were in the, we were in the bodybuilding business. We, we owned a gym in Ohio. We, we came out to visit my aunt that I just vi visited in Prescott. And, and then her, she was, uh, we somehow went to Gold's Gym. If that was the first gym ever, Gold's, I don't know. And when we saw it, her husband had a lot of money. I said, man, this is, I love this. And, and we got talking about going into business. He said, I'll, I'll loan you the money. So he had that kind of money. He gave us the loan. We didn't use a bank and we opened up a gym and everything and we didn't have to pay interest. We just had to pay the principal back. So, you know, that's how it started. So my brother, Joe, came to me uh, and he said, hey, I want to show you my baby I said, okay. So we just closed the gym up. We're the only ones there. We went downstairs to where the locker rooms were. He opened up his locker. You know, it had a, a lock on it. He did the code. And he takes out a gun. And he said, this is my baby. And I said, what's that for? He said, Tony, I hate people. And now I have something to kill the people I hate, to kill them with. And I thought, I should tell mom about this. <laughs> but being the good brother that I was, I, I wasn't a tattletale. And I thought, I hope I'm not missing it. Here, here's the amazing thing. Two weeks later, he received Jesus as Lord. Two weeks later after he showed me that gun. And so he we were doing shifts, so he worked night shift and I worked day shift. So he closed up the gym and he took the gun apart into as many pieces as you could take a handgun apart. And we lived 26 miles away from our gym. Every mile going down the highway, he threw a piece of the gun out. He said, I never want to use that gun. I'll never be able to find that gun. I am a new creature in Christ and I am a different person. And he pastors a church now. That's how he knows, you know, in Ohio. I, I'm, I'm telling you, when he gets on the inside, man, we change. We change. So, look, getting back to this, the precious fruit of the earth is getting born again. And, and he's waiting on it. So, Zechariah 10.1 says, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Now, there's not a lot of teaching on this, and it can speak differently to various ministers, and I'm sure it's all good. But here's a few thoughts that I have on it, and, uh, and, and, and I heard my wife say something about it too, so I'm stealing one of hers. But of course, you ask the Lord for rain, and we're in the time of the latter rain, and the Lord will make flashing clouds. Now, flashing clouds could represent signs, wonders, and miracles that we would, that that's an assistance to bring in the harvest. It grabs people's attention. So in this time of all this division and hate, if we get sucked into it, we're probably not asking the Lord for rain and we're probably getting away from our mission. Okay? So th this is like, the Lord's just been really helping me. I'm just like anybody else. I can get sucked into it. I, I was sucked into it, and I was angry for a season, and the Lord got my attention and said, no, you can't do the mission when you're angry. You got to get out of there. So ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain, flashing clouds. 
and then it says he'll give them showers of rain. Now, that could actually represent when the rain falls, it, rain can soften things. That can actually represent the hearts of sinners. When there's an outpouring like that, the hearts of sinners will be softened, and they'll actually have a hunger come into the heart, and they'll want him. And I think one reason I changed drastically when I got saved, my brother Joe got saved before me, and, I, and, and my family being the Catholics that we were, and like bodybuilders and all that, I told my mother, I said, Joe, I think he's gotten into a cult. And I said, I'm going to go to this Bible study he's going to, and, and if they're brainwashing him, I'm, and I was the older brother, although Joe was a tough guy, he could probably beat me up, don't ever tell him I said that, but, um, but I said, I'm going to grab him by the ear, and I'm going to pull him out of there, and if any of these sissy Christians try to stop me, I'll beat them up because Christians are sissies. So I went to the Bible study, and I walked. They were, they were in a place called Casey's Restaurants. It, it no longer exists in the corner of 224 and, and uh, Youngstown. Or, I can't remember the other street, but it was in Boardman, Ohio. And they were in this restaurant, and they got one of the banquet rooms to do a Bible study. And so the guy that led my brother to the Lord, he was over the Bible study. Now, the reason I thought Christians were sissies is because he came to our gym, and he was like, the, like really not a weightlifter or bodybuilder, and he was amongst all these big guys. And then he was an unusual guy. He was a French-American, but he spoke perfect English, of course. But he did these little things, like when he talked, he'd go, well, and do that, you know, so of course, you know, you're going to get made fun of when you do stuff like that. And I would like be in our office and we had a high ceiling in the gym, but our office had a drop ceiling. I'd take a ceiling panel off and he would be doing bench presses and I wasn't saved. And I took jelly beans and I threw them. And so jelly beans would be hitting him when he had that weight like that. I, I was like his number one persecutor. So we, we, I went into this Bible study and there he is, Lou. Lou Shabu, you know, that was his like, that's how you say it in French. It would be Shabbat, but the way the French pronounce it is Shabu. So Lou Shabu was leading this Bible study, and, and sitting around the table were 15 weightlifters from our gym. There was like an underground movement going on in our gym, and everyone was getting born again, and I didn't even know about it. So when I saw that some of the guys were bigger and stronger than me, like one guy, you know, Steve Cattell, Catali, another Italian guy, Catali, but, you know, he could bench press 500 pounds. I could only do like 300. And I thought, I'm not going to be beating up any Christians tonight. <laughs> but so I went, and one of the first things they told me, they said, here, read this scripture. And it was, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And that hit me, but I looked at my brother Joe and I pointed to Fury and I said, you know we're Catholics and you know all of us are going to heaven. And he was just a baby Christian. He said, Tony, only the born-again Catholics will go to heaven. And I didn't know what to say. So I went home, but the Lord, that scripture planted a seed in me. I went back the next week and then I went back the third week. Before I left to go there the third week, I thought, I want Jesus, I need Jesus, and after this Bible study's finished tonight, I'm going to receive him as Lord. Why am I saying all of that and telling this story? Because no one twisted my arm to pray a sinner's prayer. I prayed it because I wanted him, and I prayed it from my heart. 
And when, if there's showers of rain and there's an outpouring on the earth, there's going to be people that want him. They're just not going to say a prayer so I can get into heaven and then go on with my life. Because I just didn't say a prayer to get to heaven. I prayed and I received him and I drastically had a life change. My whole direction changed. I used to say the F word. I can't even count how many times I said it. Almost every other sentence I talked that way. When I received Jesus, I didn't even want to, I didn't want to say any of those words. Everything changed on the inside of me. We're here with a mission to get people saved. Then it says grass in the field for everyone. And, and if you look in the Old Testament, grass actually sometimes represents people. So I thought when we ask the Lord for rain and, and his rain comes, not only those showers of rain falling on unsaved people, softening their heart, but I think it will wake up the Christians and they'll think we're here on the earth to do a mission. That's why we're here. And, and so when, think, you know, they say there's 2 billion Christians, but that counts all the denominations. And I know growing up, I wasn't born again, growing up in the, the denomination I grew up in. But let's just get more conservative. Say there's a billion Christians on the earth that are born again. What if every Christian, if, if grass can represent people, what if every Christian led one person to the Lord? That's 2 billion. That's doubled like that. See, when we ask for rain and his rain pours down, everyone's going to, everyone, it wakes people up to do their mission. I've just found myself lately, I, on even just coming here, no matter who I sat next to in the plane, somehow I found a way to to get talking about Jesus and being born again. It's just my, I'm getting, that's where I'm going. I just want to like share Jesus and make sure people are born again. That's our mission. So if every Christian started to do their mission, you know, the precious fruit of the earth coming in. Then one last scripture, um, Hosea 6, 3, it said, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. And then look at, he will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain. When we're asking for the rain, we're asking for the head of the church. He's coming. The gifts and the callings of God and, and the grace of God and everything that is falling on us awakening Christians, Christians getting refocused on the mission why we're on the earth. So this last thing now, two platforms that Christian can speak from. Now, now as a pastor in Australia, I've had a lot of pressure from different ones in our church. They want me to get into what they're into. And actually, I'm into a lot of the stuff they're in, but I choose not to bring it to the pulpit. I choose to keep our people focused on the mission and not start doing all politics, okay? So that was my choice. Uh, but I, I've had that pressure come. So they wanted me to start talking about this, you know, uh, warning everyone about a great reset, you know, and some people say, well, that's conspiracy. And I said, you know, we're not going to do that. We're, I'm not going to do any of that stuff. We're going to stay with our mission, Okay. But we're going to pray these two platforms that we can speak from. And I said, there's the platform of prayer. See, everyone knows about protesting. And I found it interesting, like, let's just use Austria as an example, the nation of Austria. They were protesting by huge numbers against the vaccine and against uh, lockdowns or whatever. And you know what the, Austra the Austrian government did? They put stricter mandates and stricter lockdowns in place, and they even got more stubborn. 
It didn't matter that 100,000 people did a peaceful protest. They didn't do anything about it. But when you pray and give God something to work with. So just saying, so what happened in Australia, this young politician, he got on YouTube and, you know, he addressed the whole parliament about the Great Reset. He talked to him about the World Economic Summit, everything they're talking about. He went through like bullet port form and he warned them from the high level in Canberra, where that's like Washington, D.C. in Australia. He told them everything that they wanted me to do from the pulpit in a nation with 25 million people in our church. What's it going to do if I get into that? Our people, we need to be staying with our mission. But if we pray, they'll do their job in Washington. Does that make sense? So here's what the Lord told me. Uh, He said, prayer gives the Lord something to work with. Protest gives politicians something to work with. It's good to do both. I I went to pro-life, peaceful protest. Then he said, the Lord takes what we give him seriously. This is what the Spirit of God told me. The politicians don't always take what we say serious at all. Austria was a good example. Uh, The Lord hears, considers, moves, and he does when we pray, when we use our platform in prayer. Politicians hear and turn their back, not always, but most of the time. There are, there are, and then the Lord said this, there are more voices. Now, it might not be so here, but I'm just saying this, I'm living in Australia. He said, there are more voices going to the politicians than voices going up to heaven. Okay. Then he said, more people are protesting and less are praying. Not coming, so, you know, not coming against those who protest, but calling on more people to pray. So those are some of the things the Lord said. So when we think about supernatural and and we think about the principalities and powers and doing battle in that realm, it's just more effective for Christians. So here's just summarizing what I said today. It's our responsibility to pray, to ask, to speak, to declare, and to believe what we receive. It isn't our responsibility to manage the heavenlies. We just need to release faith prayers and do our and use our platform in prayer. So with that said, I'd like to just end today by let's ask the Lord for rain. Let's just add, and Pastor Mike will come shortly after that. But let's do just let's do that. I'll tell you, you know, uh, I asked his permission. I wanted to make sure if you know. If, if it's okay to do some praying in tongues. But I'm going to pray a prayer and understanding and ask the Lord for rain. And then, I, and, and then you guys can do, well, I'm doing that. You can ask the Lord for rain. And then let's just do a little praying in the Holy Spirit. And then Pastor Michael walk up here when he so desires to. How's that sound? So, Father, I just thank you, Lord. Uh, I thank you. We are the church. Hallelujah. This is our season. Father, we... Uh, We recognize we're in the last of the last days. And so, Father, we ask you for rain. Come to us like the rain. Lord, we thank you for showers of rain, that you begin working on the hearts of the lost people, that you can actually create hunger with people, and they become hungry for you. Father, I ask that you rain on Christians' hearts, 
all of us, Father, that the rain would soften us, that some that are bitter and even angry, that you could soften them and they would get back to love and understanding what their mission is. That, Father, that we would look up to heaven and we would not be discouraged about things that we see going on on the earth, but our redemption draws nigh and we keep our eyes on you. If we keep our eyes on you and we keep our eyes on the gospel, we'll be focused on our mission and why we're here, Lord. So we ask that you would pour out your rain, Father. We desire flashing clouds. We desire gifts of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Power gifts working of miracles, the gift of faith, gifts of healings, that, Father, that we would attract the attention of the unsaved people. You would put a hunger in their hearts, and they would come to us, and we could answer their questions with the good news, and they would receive you, Father. We desire that. So we ask that you would pour your glory out on the earth. You would, we would, you would pour your spirit out on the earth, Father God. We desire to finish our mission. We desire for you to come, Lord, but we know you're waiting on the precious fruit. Use us, Lord. Use us, Father. Use us for, to bring in the harvest, to bring in what your son shed his blood for. That's why we're here, Lord. We thank you for it. And let's just pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for rain. Use us. We're vessels. We're vessels for you to use. Grass and everyone's filled. Everyone filled. Everyone's filled having grass. Hallelujah. That, that we would lead people to the Lord. We would, we would bring them to, together with us so they could be discipled and they could grow up in the Lord. Shambrosi. Oh, that we would see that each one of us can, can work on one person. Hallelujah. And we would all have grass in our field. Oh, and then we could take that responsibility and follow up on the person we lead to you. Make sure they become established. Hallelujah. Sure, I'm 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we've asked for the rain. Do you believe he heard us? Then let's give him thanks for it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for the rain. Thank you, Lord, for moving by your spirit. Thank you for the glory of the Lord to be seen upon the church and to be witnessed by the world. Bless you, Father. Thank you, Father. We ask for boldness to speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders be done in the name of the Holy Child, Jesus. That's our destiny, Father. That is your will. That is your plan for us in these last days. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thank you for being with us today. What did a blessing to have them with us? Amen. 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 Well, you're dismissed.